if I were to have a message for, I know a lot of your audience are higher education folks is, I mean, most of you got a PhD and you believe in research. So what's the research say about learning? And we know a lot of the answer. The answer is active learning wins, passive learning doesn't. So figure out how to do that. That's what the research says. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did research to get your PhD, which is awesome. So let's look at the research on learning and let's do best practices with learning. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Good morning. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Hey, it's great to be with you guys again. This is a part two, meaning we've already had a part one with this guest. I didn't have a chance to hear part one with John Bergman. Please go back and catch that episode. Otherwise, we're going to jump right back in. Well, sometimes the literature, our own data informs our decisions about what's next, but sometimes it's specific personal experiences. So will you share the story of Annabelle and what her story taught you as an educator? This was early on in those Woodland Park days. Annabelle was a social butterfly who came to class every day. And I thought she's so going to hate this. Now, at this point, we'd moved on to mastery learning, which was the topic of the new book. We'd moved on to mastery learning. And I thought, I think she just wanted to just barely get by and sort of exist in class and get a C so she could socialize with her peers. You know, and that that's there are many typical high school freshmen. She was a freshman who are like that. <laughs> and I thought she's going to hate my class because what would happen is, is that she would just try and get by. And in a mastery course, you have to actually complete the work with mastery before you can move on. And she wouldn't. And so what would happen is that she had to then continue to come in during her lunch hours and after school or whatever to get help and to spend time with me, which, you know, a social butterfly teenage girl does not want to come hang out with the old science teacher dude. So <laughs> but that was what she You're had to kidding. do. She was You're not kidding. doing her work. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think my kids like me, but maybe not that much, you know. <laughs> They love their peer groups. And that went on for a semester. She struggled and I did that call home, all that stuff. And nothing was working. And then like second semester, I realized that I had not seen her at lunch and all that kind of stuff. She'd been passing her tests in a mastery stuff. You have to pass the test before you move on on her first attempt. And I finally turned to her and said, Annabelle, what happened to you? You know, <laughs> where was the girl I met first semester? Because all of a sudden she says, you know, Mr. Bergman, I found it was actually easier to do my work right the first time. So, you know, I did a big fist bump quietly. Not, I didn't do it in her presence because <laughs> it was like, I don't want her to think that that was the awesome thing, but she came to that realization on her own. So that was, mm. that was, yeah. Awesome. We can learn some great lessons from our students. Yes. If we're willing to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we also know that you're a big proponent of mastery and competency learning. So what are some of the advantages and some of the challenges of approaching learning in that fashion? You know, when I used to teach traditionally, and even when I flipped my classroom for the first time in those first few years, meaning that every student is watching the same video on Tuesday night and on Wednesday, they're all doing the same activity. Eventually we got to a test 
and the test is on Friday. You get one shot. Good luck. And then what happened is some students did great, right? And even, you know, like I said, we got one standard deviation improvement. So I'd get more kids getting A's and B's, but I'd still get a kid who'd score 42 on the test out of hundred or something like that. And what did I typically do? I moved on and I hope you get caught up and that you figured this out. But of course, what happens, that kid usually gets further and further behind, especially in the topic of chemistry, which builds upon itself. So, but the beauty of a mastery system is let's say they take that test and they get a 42 they could take it again. I mean, mastery has been around for a long, long time. You know, if you want to get your driver's license, you have to actually pass the test before they're going to give you license. But in my case, you have to pass the test before you can move on to level two. I've gamified my class a little bit, so I call it level two. They have to pass the test. And that creates logistical nightmares, though, if you think about this. That means not every kid's on the same page, if you will, at the same time. So that can be a problem. But I figured that out, how to solve that Rubik's Cube logistically. That's really what I focused. When I came back to the classroom, you know, I was in the classroom in my Woodland Park days up until then. And then I spent eight to 10 years traveling around the world, teaching people how to flip their classroom. And then I returned back to the classroom and I just said, the focus here is mastery. And how do you do mastery? Flipped makes mastery reality possible, but it just works. I mean, it, I could never go back. So, John, I noticed you mentioned that use the term gamify just a moment I know. ago. Tell yeah. us more about how you gamify your courses. So instead of naming that, I don't have lessons, we have missions, I don't have units, we have levels. So it's just leveling up. It's actually one thing that it's sort of, I want to spend more time learning how to do. I know there's some people I've toyed around with Classcraft and some other tools to try and make it more gamified. I'm no expert in gamification, but it's one thing I want to incorporate. So frankly, I've changed the nomenclature of the class that the tests are called boss battles instead of tests. <laughs> and it's, and also it feels like it's not for them. I think it's like, we have to fight the boss and the boss isn't me. It's not me against my students. It's us against the content right together. So I think that's one thing that helps the gamification process. Again, something that is in development. I've read some stuff about gamification and then I've been so focused on mastery that I haven't gamified it to the degree I want to. Is badging part of that process? Yes, I'd like to, my, my LMS has some badging and I've started to play with adding some digital badges when they pass a certain test, then they get a badge. And that's basically as far as I've gotten. So. Okay, good. Well, you have a new book on the horizon. By the time this podcast is released, it should be coinciding with that book release. Can you tell us a little bit about what readers can expect? So the new book is all about mastery and how to actually do it. So if you think about how do you have different students doing different things in the same room and have a sane classroom? Or another issue with mastery that is huge is how do you do assessments? If I have only one assessment and the students take that and they don't pass and they retake that assessment, then is that a fair assessment? And I would argue no. And so some of the big logistical issues of mastery have really been solved a lot with technology and it allows for a real mastery based classroom to happen. And so the point of the new book, it's mastery learning handbook is to teach teachers step-by-step -step how to do this in their classroom. It's intensely practical with examples, teaching them how to plan for mastery and how to overcome the common mistakes and hurdles they're gonna discover as they move to mastery competency based learning. Excellent. And we'll have some information on that new book on the Digital to Learn website so people can take advantage of that. Absolutely.
one of the topics that we connect with or are passionate about is FaceTime. We teach for IWU, who has a traditional main campus as well as an online campus. And we teach for the online side and our proponents of FaceTime, synchronous online sessions. Could you share your thoughts and ideas on maximizing FaceTime? Well, FaceTime matters. You know, I like a lot of teachers in March of 2020 went all online and that wasn't nearly as effective as it could have been because we need to be face-to-face with our students. Now we are face-to-face in an online environment that is face-to-face, but it's key to get to maximize the time. One thing that Aaron and I used to say back in the day when we were teaching teachers how to do flip learning was what's the best use of your face-to-face class time. And as I've worked with online schools, and I have done that, done some consulting with some online schools, it's the same question. What's the best use of your face-to-face time, that synchronous time we have with your students, whether it's live or on a Zoom, or well, I guess it's still live, but if it's face-to-face in a physical space or in a virtual space, and there's no right answer to that question. I think it's a different answer for different subjects and contents. In my class, my students will do experiments today in my class. So that's how I would answer that question as a science teacher. I want them to have more time hands-on learning. But I've also worked with, say, world language teachers who want them to practice speaking the target language in their face-to-face time instead of learning how to conjugate the verbs. That's the kind of stuff that they could do in the independent space. So it's really a different answer depending on what you teach. But I think if there's anything the pandemic taught us is that the most valuable time we have in school is that face-to-face synchronous time. And then the question is, what should we do with it? Because it was very quickly obvious in the pandemic that a teacher lecturing on Zoom was a waste of time and it didn't work. Now, I'm saying this as someone who still lectures, but I lecture on cheesy videos that I make that they watch outside of class time so that they're in class time. They hear with me. I'm their most valuable resource in learning this content. They're with me so that they can get the help that they need on, if you will, the hard stuff. Let's have the easy stuff done when they're in the independent space. What I hear in that answer is something I think faculty in higher education often miss, and that is if you have a chunk of content you need to teach in a course or a given week, what's the best way to teach this? And that best way may be them doing it by themselves, parts of it, and other parts interactively in the classroom. That formula seems to be missing in lots of courses that I've observed. Yeah, I've consulted with a lot of higher education institutions and they seem slower to change in a lot of ways but that said and i've seen amazing examples of flipped courses especially at higher ed and it just works when the professors are willing to change that if i were to have a message for i know a lot of your audience are higher education folks is i mean most of you got a phd and you believe in research so what's the research say about learning? And we know a lot of the answer. The answer is active learning wins, passive learning doesn't. So figure out how to do that. That's what the research says. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, you did research to get your PhD, which is awesome. So let's look at the research on learning and let's do best practices with learning. Amen. (laughs) Mic drop moment. John, I'm putting you on the spot, but we know how much intentional time you spend with your students because you care about them as people in addition to just their learning. These students are arguably our students of the future in higher ed. So is there anything 
that we should know about them as they prepare to maybe <laughs> move into the higher ed space? Let's say, think of the students I've got in the last couple of years. They're very <laughs> passionate about everything. That's nothing new, though. I mean, this is 36 years in education, and I think that that's just nature of being, you know, 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> everything is big, even though it's small. But I would say something else that I have seen this year that's new in the last two years, really, is the level of social and emotional distress in my students is mm -hmm. way higher than I've ever seen in my career. The number of students that have left school to go to some institutional mental health facilities wow. is off the chart. I've never seen it like this before. And I'm glad they're getting the help that they need. But clearly some of the unintended consequences of the shutting down of schools had a huge deleterious effect on Ooh. our students' mental, uh, yeah. physical too, but I'm thinking mental, especially mm -hmm. it's been, I don't know. I saw a stat that there's a 31% increase in student uh, adolescent suicide attempts and mm. or completions. I don't remember. It was, it was a horrible thing. So these are things that we need to figure out how to address. And I mean, one of the beauties even of, of the mastery model is my job is to walk around in Rome and talk to kids. I'm not separated. I'm with them the whole time. And I do believe that provides that positive adult student relationship piece that can hopefully mitigate some of those mental health issues. I'm no mental health expert, but kids need to know that they're cared for, right? Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. So John, make some predictions for us. What's next? What's on the horizon for you or for learning in general? You know, my principal asked me if I would ever return to the consulting world. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. I still do consulting, but I've only working with just very few schools because I need to be in the classroom. And for me, that's where I get my energy and I need to do crazy stuff. I'm the voice of the Mustangs. So um, last Friday was uh, a homecoming and I was the guy announcing the homecoming royalty at the football game. And next oh this goodness. weekend, you know, I'm the guy in the booth above and, you know, that kind of thing makes a difference. And the kids want me to call their name. I said, well, they got to have a good place on, huh? you know, yeah. <laughs> so or whatever, you know, because like things like that. I don't know. I just don't see myself leaving the classroom anytime. I mean. I'm 58. I think this is, you know, I'll somehow at some point figure out when it's time to end a career. But I don't know. I am very hopeful, particularly with this new book, that it it could really move the bar to mastery competency-based learning. I feel like when I wrote this, I mean, I've written 10 books, and I feel like this is the best book I've ever written because it really says everything I really believe about education. So in that sense, you know, it talks about equity and how mastery really promotes equity and learning. It talks about relationships, which we've already touched on. And so for me, I feel like I can lead the movement, if you will, that I've helped to be a part of for many years, much better sitting here in this room in a science classroom that I'm sitting in right now, way better than I could if I was on a plane every week, like I was for a time. That was a good time to do that. There was a time and a season I needed to do that to help spread sort of flipped in mastery learning. But I think at this season, it's much better for me to be sitting where I am right now. Well, the other thing that's very obvious about you, John, is you love teaching, but it's clear that you also love learning. 
And everything that you're doing, you're thinking, hey, can I do this differently? Can I do this better? That's a wonderful combination. Or even the non-commitment to a specific tool, because that's what we need right now is people who hold everything loosely, all the technology very loosely, because it's going to change. Absolutely. But that approach and agility is so important. Absolutely right. One final question. There's a spinoff podcast that we've done from Digital to Learn called Behind the Scenes of IWU Scholarship. We're interviewing our faculty and staff about their scholarship pursuits. So I'm going to steal one of those questions from that podcast right now. Could you just briefly touch on what the book authoring process has been like for you? So you've done 10. It would be unfortunate if I didn't ask you about (laughs) what that process is like for you. This book was different, this last book. So I started writing it a couple of years ago, and I started by gathering data. And so I knew lots of people who are doing mastery learning around the world. And uh, I Zoomed with them and recorded the Zooms, and I said, tell me everything you know and what's your best practices of mastery learning. Most of the people were practitioners. They were just, you know, middle school teachers, high school teachers, a couple of researchers, et cetera, et cetera. And I recorded that and I had an outline of the book. And then my editor, Allison Scott, what an amazing lady. I had seven chapters. The book is now 17 chapters. <laughs> and she really helped me think that through. And then when I really got down to writing, I wrote it in the summer and <laughs> I'm also an athlete. I would go to the pool and swim at five in the morning. This is in the summer, right? So that's weird. I would swim from five to 6.30 and then I would go to Starbucks and for four and a half hours, I would write. Got to know the staff at Starbucks very well. And there's the guy, yeah, who always gets the tea and not the coffee. And I sat and wrote for four hours and then, you know, frequent things with Allison. And one thing too about authoring, you have to hold your, your writing loosely. You talk about holding things loosely because- when I submitted the final draft, she said, John, let's talk about chapter 17. And I said, yeah, it was the weakest chapter. And so I had to throw it away. I mean, that represented a week of work. And I, <laughs> she was right. There was, there was about four paragraphs we kept and we put them at different places and, you know, <laughs> but that's something that, you know, man, I spent, you know, an hour writing that paragraph and then you throw it away and you write something better. So, and then you have to be willing to listen to these people who are saying, this doesn't make sense and say, okay, all right. So so I guess you have to have some humility to know that, you know, I don't know everything and I need to trust people who are invested in this project too. Mm -hmm. But then that outcome is so worth it. (laughs) Well, John, I'm sure our listeners are going to hear your spirit of optimism about what can be accomplished and what can be done in teaching and learning. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And to all of our listeners, please tune in to the Digital to Learn podcast again next week. Check out our website for additional resources. So please make sure to check out the episode pages and we'll be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, Give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.